Good morning, everybody. I have been amazed, I guess, uh, of late with um, some of the elaborate plans that couples have when they get engaged. Have you noticed? I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's just I'm amazed by how elaborate some of these engagement uh, gatherings are. It's, it's become not just something shared with a couple. It's like everybody they know is in on the deal. Um, I read one just recently uh, about a couple that uh, uh, the guy wanted to ask his girlfriend to marry him. And it was around Christmas time. And so they had, um, they would go every year to a Christmas party that was, it sounded like a large gathering of friends and family uh, from both sides and so forth. And um, so that was one of their traditions. They also had a tradition at Christmas where they would exchange uh, Christmas ornaments, this, this guy and, and his girlfriend. And so he made all of these arrangements in advance with everybody that was going to come to that year's Christmas party, so they were in on the deal. And so they are gathered for the Christmas party, and uh, he says to his, his girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, um, hey, I want to give you the ornament, my ornament, early this year. So he handed her the box, she opened it up, and it was a, um, it was a Christmas ornament, it was... Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy under mistletoe, which is weird. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know, Muppet fans, I don't know what that was about. And so she thought that was nice, and then he dropped to his knee and asked her to marry him. And she was overjoyed and excited and said yes. And as soon as she said yes, everybody who was gathered there started to sing The Rainbow Connection. I know. And then showered the couple with these uh, gold sparkly stars um, as they were together. Like crazy, right? I, so my engagement story is a little <laughs> less organized than that. Um, I decided that, uh, you know, I picked a weekend that I was going to ask Marilyn to marry me. And uh, so this is back in the 80s, and back then, if you were around, you may recall that what couples, a lot of couples were doing is uh, it would happen in a restaurant, and they would make some arrangements, you know, so the waiter would come out with a tray with a top and take the top off, and there would be the ring, or the guy would put the ring into a champagne glass, you know, that kind of stuff. So I didn't want to do a restaurant. I wanted to do something different, and so I decided... I'll take Marilyn into Philadelphia, we'll get one of those horse-drawn carriages, and as we're going through Old City Philadelphia, you know, past the brownstones and so forth, that in the carriage I will ask her to marry me. And uh, so this was, it was February. <laughs> so um, we get into Philly, and uh, we're walking around, and I'm looking for a horse-drawn carriage. And I'm not finding any. And <clears throat> so, you know, I'm like almost dragging her through the city, 
Clearly, I'm looking for something. She has no idea what I'm looking for. She thinks we're just roaming around the city and uh, there are no horse-drawn carriages to be found because it's February, right? It never occurred to me that that would be a problem. And so we're all over the place. We must have walked for an hour. I never found a horse-drawn carriage because it was February. So we finally end up in this park <clears throat> and I'm, I'm determined, like, I am not leaving this city without asking Marilyn to marry me. And uh, so we're in this park, <clears throat> we, there's a bench, we sit on the bench, we're, we're by this fountain, but of course there's no water because it's February. And uh, so, you know, we're sitting there, and I, I didn't rehearse the kneel down part because I was going to be in a carriage. So. I didn't kneel down. I, we just sat on the bench and I asked her if she'd marry me and she said yes and I pulled out the ring and she was overjoyed and you know we're hugging <clears throat> and I'm looking now over her shoulder and about 20 yards out off to the side there is a guy who's clearly inebriated and relieving himself in the bushes. <laughs> So that's my engagement story. <laughs> Why do couples get engaged before marriage? We get engaged, at least traditionally, the idea was that engagement is a time of preparation. And I often share with couples that while it is a time to prepare for your wedding day and all of the details, that it's also an important time of preparation for entering into this relationship called marriage. And for us, for Marilyn and I, when we were in that process, that engagement process, our conversations really changed from I and me, what, you know, I'm about who I am and, and things that, you know, about me and so forth and, and her talking about herself. And now we were talking about us and we who we're going to be as a couple, what our priorities are, what our focus is going to be, what our hopes and dreams will be together. We change from the I to the we. Now, in Webster's Dictionary, there's a number of different um, definitions for engage, but I like this one. To come together or to interlock like a gear, to come together or to interlock like a gear. That's a great description of what it is to engage. We are in a series where we're looking at the book of uh, Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, and it is a kind of a blueprint for the church, if you will. It's it's a constitution, of, as some have called it, a constitution of the church, a charter document of what the church is to be. And so as we come now to the fourth chapter, Paul is saying that the church is an engaged community. It's an engaged community where people are woven together, they're interlocking with each other like a gear. And so we're going to take a look at what he has to say here in the fourth chapter and what we as a church uh, can learn from, from Paul about what it means to be the church. Here's the takeaway as you are 
thinking about the message, which I know you'll be doing all week long. <clears throat> here's what I want you to, here, here's the hook to think about. You won't grow if you don't show up. You won't grow if you don't show up. Now I put up in parentheses because, you know, it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> but I needed it there and uh, so, uh, but that's the idea. You won't grow if you don't show up. We are called to be an engaged community. It's increasingly obvious across the country that the church has become viewed by Christians. I'm not talking about folks with no faith or nominal faith. I'm talking about people who have a deep faith, who have a committed faith. But even among us, church is viewed as optional. Church is optional. If there's something else going on, I'm going to do that. If there's nothing else going on, I'll go to church. It's optional. It used to be, according to uh, people who track this stuff, that <clears throat> somebody would consider themselves a regular attender if they went uh, three and a half times a month to church on average. That number now is 1.7. Right? Church is optional. And that's because of our culture. Right? That's a cultural thing. You don't have to go anywhere anymore to get the stuff that you want or need. You don't have to go to the bank. The bank is on your phone. You don't have to go to the movies. The movies are in your living room or your family room where your TV is. You don't have to go to the grocery store. You don't have to go to a restaurant. The restaurant can come to you. You don't have to go shopping anywhere. All of that stuff can come to you. And so that cultural reality, I think, has filtered its way into our psyches, into our behaviors, and so into the church. I don't have to go to church. I can get a sermon online. I can listen to praise music on my radio in my car. I can read my Bible. I can pray at home. I don't need to go to church. The only thing missing with that is that is not the body of Christ. The church is the body of Christ. Paul makes that clear throughout. The New Testament makes that clear throughout, that the church, and, and anytime in your New Testament you read the word church, understand that that word in the Greek is ekklesia. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean an institution. It is a gathered community. The church of Jesus Christ is the gathered community. As we all come together, that is the church. We are the living embodiment of Christ on earth. And so when we fail to come together, when it's not a priority when it's an option of coming together. That means that we have begun to view the church as a commodity. 
It's like a restaurant or a bank or a movie. It's someplace I go to get something for me that'll carry me through the week. And it misses the point. And I think that's what Paul wants us to hear this morning. Now, I also want to say, and I didn't have this in my notes, but it occurred to me as I was doing this at the first service, that it may sound like I'm scolding you and you're sitting there going, I'm here. Like, what are you talking about? You're not talking to me, and that's true. So this is, one, this is not a scolding message, so if it sounds like I'm scolding, um, it's, that's just me. Um, it's, not, it's not about that. It really is a, just casting a vision for what the church is to be. And uh, so I understand the challenges, and I know people have busy schedules, and there's, you know, everything is on the table to do on Sundays, unlike, you know, in years past. And, uh, and so it really is a great challenge uh, for us to take seriously this, this call to be the church. And these Sunday gatherings are just part of our life together as a community. It's an important part, but it's just a part. All right. So you won't grow if you don't show. We're going to look um, at verses 11 through 16 of the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. And uh, so I want to start with verses 11 through 13, and, uh, and then we'll wrap up 14 through 16. Um, so let's just read this together um, so you can hear for yourselves what Paul wrote. And uh, let's, let's actually do that. Let's read these words together out loud, all right? Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until... So Paul is saying that the church is the body of Christ on earth and God has given the church tools that it needs in order to grow mature, to grow healthy, and for its influence to grow around the world. And he names five of the tools that God has given to the church. Descriptions or, or um, names of Gifts and these gifts fall under the broader category of equipping gifts. These are equipping gifts. So the first one he names is the apostles. Now you guys know that the apostles, uh, the original apostles, were those original twelve uh, men that Jesus called to follow him. And uh, so then Judas died and was replaced by uh, uh, Matthias. And so we have these twelve apostles. They were the leaders of the church. They were the point leaders of the church. They were the overseers of all that the church was doing. Right? So they had, they had point responsibility for the church as it was growing, as it was maturing, and as it was moving out. But these guys also had a short life because all but John were martyred uh, by the Roman government. So 
as they were dying off, the church had to replace them with new leadership. And so this idea, this this title or this office of apostle was really those who were in point leadership over the church. Then there's the prophets. Now you may think when you hear prophet, what may come to your mind is, you know, people who predict the future. That's how we often think of uh, what a prophet is, somebody who predicts the future. But really, it was less about that. Certainly there were times apostles were, or uh, prophets were talking about the future things. But oftentimes what prophets did was talk about what was happening right now within God's people. And they were times, at times they were cheerleaders, they were encouragers saying, hey, we're doing great, you're following God, keep it up, way to go, and they were playing that role. But if the church as a group began to veer off path, the prophets were there with words of um, admonition and correction saying, we're, we're getting off track, we need to get back over here, this is where God wanted us to be, we need to get back on track. And so really prophets were kind of the keepers of the culture of the church to make sure that the church was staying on track with who God wanted the church to be. The evangelists, I, I think of the evangelists as the front door to the church. Evangelists are those women and men who are standing kind of at the front of the church, at the front entrance of the church, the front door of the church, metaphorically speaking, who are sharing Jesus and sharing the Christian faith in an invitational kind of way that attracts people who don't share that faith and invites them into the community to come and to experience what it means to be a follower of Christ and a part of his body, the church. So those are the evangelists. And then the next one is pastors. And that word really means servant. And, and the image is a, like a waiter, you know, like a table server. So the role of pastor in these descriptions is or are those people who are looking to make sure that the, the gathered community are being cared for well. Right? So they're taking care of the, the care-oriented kinds of ministries. And then teachers, well, you know what a teacher is, the, those folks who have that responsibility of, of sharing the truths of the gospel, what, what, uh, what the word says, who Jesus was, what he did, and, and what that means for us, so the teachers. So these five gifts are the equipping gifts. They're equipping who? Who are we equipping here? the body, everybody else, right? So their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build the church, the body of Christ. So those roles exist in order to equip everybody else to do the work of the church. So he names five gifts, but throughout scripture, there are other gifts named. And so there are gifts of administration and gifts of wisdom and gifts of discernment, mercy-oriented gifts, gifts of compassion. There are administrative kinds of gifts and gifts of creative expression and so forth. So all of these gifts that are a part of the broader community are the ones who are being equipped given the 
the tools that they need, that you need, in order to do the ministry that God is calling us to do. It's not the job of these five offices to do all of the work. They are the ones equipping others for the work to be done. So, this week, here at Hope, we will minister to a couple of hundred children. Starting today, between here in Voorhees and our Mount Laurel campus, there'll be anywhere between 70 and 90 children. On Wednesday, there'll be another, I don't know, 60 or 70 kids here um, who are a part of our arts ministry for kids. There'll be other things going on here for children throughout the week. Also this week, we'll be doing ministry oriented towards students. It actually started last night for, for this week, even though it was the end of last week. Technically, it's this week, at least in this illustration. <laughs> so they had the Italian dinner, right? And so they were um, raising money, kids raising money for a mission trip that they're going to be going on this summer. And so we're going to be sending off a, um, 70, 80 kids, I don't, I don't know the number right now, uh, students, middle school and high school students to have a week-long mission experience. That happens because people like you say, I'm willing to participate with these young people for their sake, for their growth. In addition to those things, there'll be a, probably a couple of dozen small groups that meet over the course of the week. There'll be recovery groups that meet over the course of this week. Bands will be here rehearsing along with the tech team. In addition to those things, there'll be countless numbers of individual, uh, individuals getting together because of the relationships they've formed here in coffee shops and living rooms and, and around the community, meeting to talk about what's going on in their lives, meeting for prayer, meeting for mentoring. All of that will happen this week. And the only way that happens this week and has happened over the course of almost three decades is because people just like you show up and say, I want to be a part. I want to play a role. I want to engage in this community of faith. So I know a, a lot of you are already in this process and, and you're growing because of it. You know, whether you can feel it right now, whether you're experiencing it right now or not, you are growing and you are investing in the growth of others. If that's not where you are right now, you know, you, you haven't gotten engaged in that way, and you have no idea how that would look, here's what I'd encourage you to do. Find somebody around who 
looks like they're volunteering, right? So go to one of the guys in the booth uh, or uh, talk to somebody in the, on the worship team or somebody who's walking around with a lanyard on. If, if somebody has a lanyard on, chances are they're a volunteer here. You know, I don't think a lot of people walk around, you know, really want you to know their name so they wear a lanyard. Um, and ask them, so how did you get involved? How did it work for you? And just hear the stories. Ask several people. And you'll hear, hear several different stories. Some who will say, well, somebody asked me to help out, and I said yes, and, you know, got involved. Others will be, you know, like, I just felt like I needed to get involved. I thought it was time. Um, I saw an opportunity. I thought maybe they could use some help. But ask, the, ask the question, and you will find stories that probably will sound a lot like where you are. So, when we do that, when the body of Christ, when the ecclesia is engaged, interlocking like a gear, we grow. And we will continue to grow until we come to a unity in our faith and knowledge of God so that we will be mature in the Lord and measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That's a big, big thing that's going on right there, right? So this isn't just about you as an individual. It's about this broader community that we're a part of, this maturing process that we together are becoming an illustration, if you will, an embodiment, even more accurately, of Christ in the world. It's not just another nonprofit. It's not just another volunteer organization. It's the body of Christ on earth. So moving ahead then, um, verses 14 through 16. Let's, same thing, let's read this together. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown around by every... All right, wait, wait, wait. Instead, what? That's what I thought you said. Yes. We will speak the truth in love. So here's Paul. He's saying, look, we, we have this truth. And there are going to be those who are going to try and distort it. And he was dealing with, uh, with false teachers all of the time that were trying to distort the gospel. So that was a reality then. And, uh, and he said, you know, we, we have to be mature in our faith so we can be clear about what the truth is. But we're going to speak the truth in love. We're going to speak the truth in love. And that this is one of those things that, you know, in church we talk about love all the time, right? We talk about love and love's important to us. Love is the ethic. Love is the Christian ethic. It's not just words. And sometimes I feel like, you know, it just rolls off our, you know, love, yeah, but, you know, then we go about doing stuff our own way and so forth. And, and we do damage when our words, the things that we speak, uh, 
even when true, are not spoken with a spirit of love. And so if you can't speak truth without love, stop talking. All right? It's, again, there's a cultural thing going on right now where we're just saying stuff that, you know, maybe we feel, maybe we have a conviction about, and we're just gonna, we're just gonna speak it out. And I don't care how it affects somebody, I don't care what they think about it, I'm gonna say it how I wanna say it, I don't wanna be politically correct, you know, and this whole idea of not being politically correct is in vogue now, and really, politically correct had a real meaning years ago. It had to do with not really answering a question, because I wanted to be politically correct, so I didn't really answer the question. What it's come to mean is I'm just going to say stuff and not worry about how people feel. Ravi Zacharias, Zacharias, who is a Christian intellectual and apologist, said that truth without love is obnoxious. Truth without love is obnoxious. So we need to figure out how to speak truth in ways that are loving. Here's, here's what my suggestion would be. Whenever you're reading the Bible, the New Testament, and you come across the word love, you ought to push the pause button, turn over to 1 Corinthians 13, and just do a quick review. Because that's the best definition I think you will ever find of the nature of the kind of love that Jesus embodied. Okay? It's not a sentimentality. It's a way of behaving. It is our ethic. So, we have truth, but we need to speak it in ways that are not obnoxious, but are the embodiment of love for other people, that it's spoken with respect and with honoring people, with caring for the... For the uh, thoughts and feelings of others. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not arrogant. All of those things that love is not, that's the nature of love. All right. So what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. So instead, we're going to speak the truth in love. Let's go on. Growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Call it makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That just, that sounds like a gear, doesn't it? Like this engagement idea. He makes the whole body interwoven, interconnected. He weaves us together perfectly. Okay. As each part... All right, hold it. There's a lot here. I don't want you to miss it. As each part does its own special work, which, who's the part? Each, you, yeah. Each part does its own special work. What happens? It helps the other parts grow. You're not just here for you. I'm not just here for me. We're here for the other. As I bring my gifts into the community, I help others grow. As you 
bring your gifts into the community, you help others grow. And together, we are the church, growing healthy and mature, speaking truth in love, and each one being blessed. When you bless others, you get blessed. When they get blessed, they bless you. Doesn't that sound like a cool place? Like, wouldn't you want to hang out there? Right? That's good stuff. All right, stop. You know, you guys keep going, would you? What do you keep stopping for? So, the whole body. And full of what? Full of, where should we go? 1 Corinthians 13. See, you forgot. I told you, when we read love, push the pause button, go to 1 Corinthians 13. But we don't have time. So we're not going to do that. This time, but you should do that. All right? So we, that's it. That's, that's why you won't grow if you don't show up. You won't grow if you don't show up. We won't grow. I won't grow if we don't show up. It is a different kind of community than any other type of community around. So we can't Netflix this. We can't Grubhub this. We can't Amazon this. We can't stream it. The body of Christ is a living organism made up of men and women who are oriented toward Christ. It's nice. Sound like an angel or something showed up just then. All right, so the the guys are going to come and lead us in a in a closing song here. Um, as they're coming up, just I'm going to give you a little uh, heads up. We have a we have a series that we're planning, and. Uh, the challenge we're going to make in that series is what we're calling Worship Plus Two. Worship Plus Two. We're going to challenge our folks here to make worship a priority rather than just, you know, when it's a convenience and so forth, when there's nothing else going on, that you make worship um, a priority in your life. And in addition to worship, because it's important that we get together and spend these times, um, that you'll also be engaging in something that is spurring your growth on so some kind of small group or study group or whatever it might be that's spurring your growth on and something that you're doing to serve others. So it's worship plus two. We'll talk more about that in uh, the weeks ahead. Well, that's a great prayer. Let all of that be here and now, right? So we're the church. We are the body of Christ. You are a part. And as you engage you grow. And as you engage, we grow. And together, we have an influence in the world showing what authentic Christian community looks like, where everyone is welcome, where everyone comes as they are and finds God's love and grace, forgiveness, hope, peace, all of the fruits of the Spirit. So friends, as you go into this new week, go knowing that the Lord will bless you and keep you. The Lord will make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord will be gracious to you today and always. Amen. Have a great week.